Now, with the latest from the world of technology, this is the Tech Guide Podcast with Stephen Fennick. Let's jump straight in. Tech Guide. This was a real effort to push into that growing consumer space, very competitive space in Australia. It does give the user plenty of options, whether you're working or viewing content on the device. Keeping you updated and educated, this is the Tech Guide Podcast. Knowing Apple, you just don't know what to expect. They've gone from taking an excellent device and they've made it even better. It's had a redesign inside and out. Now, from the studios of techguide.com.au, Stephen Fennick. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide, episode 208. This is the podcast that keeps you updated and educated about the latest consumer tech news, views and reviews. Thanks for listening once again and thanks for downloading and all you first-time listeners, welcome aboard. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of the website techguide.com.au. On this week's program, Telstra launches a new campaign to rebuild their brand, but is it enough? Linksys launches a new trio of high-speed Wi-Fi products and Android Pay launches in Australia. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to check out the 360 earphones that connect to the iPhone's lightning port and the Natatmo Welcome. That's the security camera with facial recognition. In the Tech Guide interview, we chat with Kevin Mitnick, one of the world's most famous hackers and we'll wrap it up with the tech guide help desk and it's all brought to you by netgear australia's number one brand of home wi-fi products and norton the company to help keep you and your family safe online a huge show for you so let's get cracking telstra has launched a new campaign uh it is airing on your tv screens as we speak and it is in in the aftermath of, of all the dramas they've had this year. They've had seven outages in six months. They've had criticism from Choice about their the value of their of their contracts and plans. And they've had, frankly, a year to forget. And this new campaign, which was announced as, well as on their Telstra Exchange blog, as well as through this ad campaign is a bit of a different approach i think it's it's all about how magical technology is and how what a wonderful world we live in and the technology its ability to do these things is just like magic it's the the actual tv ad is a poem would you believe so it's it shows a a grandfather reading to his granddaughter via a video call and shows all other these technological wonders and to be frank, it's not till the last frame that you see that it's actually a Telstra ad with the phrase "Thrive On," and I thought it was when I first saw it. I thought this could be an ad for Apple or Samsung. It could be an ad for technology for devices rather than for a telco. Uh, then I read the blog, and that was written by Joe Pollard, uh, Telstra's Group Me Executive of Media and Marketing, and. The blog was no better than the ad, a uh, light and fluffy, and, and wouldn't it be great to use technology to uh, build, realize your dreams? And it was, it was reminded me of the BlackBerry uh, ad, that, that disastrous campaign from years ago. I don't know whether you, many of you recall the, the BlackBerry campaign for everyone to wake up and to be bold and time to do business and stuff like that. And it was absolutely disastrous and laughable. 
uh, Telstra's are sh- coming close to being in, in the same category, in my opinion. I think that uh, some of the lines out of the, out of the ad and out of the blog. I'll read one line out of the ad. This here's an ad, and you can view it. There's a, there's a link on Tech Guide for you to view the ad for yourself. And, and here's one of the lines: Possibilities are like stars, infinite constellations, fueled by your imagination, leading to one destination: to you. Uh, that that was, as I described in my story, only one of the cringeworthy lines in the ad. And uh, in the blog as well, uh, Ms. Pollard d- talks about how, uh, and I'll quote her here, in short, our customers want us to build upon the strength of our network and empower them to turn their ambitions, aspirations, and dreams into reality. They look to us as a company to be their technology partner. We take this seriously. And... They, they also mentioned the fact that the company's evolving from being a telco, which is short for telecommunications company, to a techco, which is a tech company. And I don't know, the, the whole thing to me is just, in light of what's happened, there's still Telstra customers without a connection out there. There's still Telstra customers that are out of pocket after these outages. There are still test Telstra customers contacting me regularly on Tech Guide about how unhappy they are. Uh, with the company in light of what's happened, I thought that an ad that would look to be building trust again with their customers, looking to to emphasise the strengths of the company, uh, not the, not this fluffy, let's all hold hands and just wonder at how good technology is type of ad. I thought that Telstra would come out a little bit stronger, a little bit more focused on the message. Now, this comes at a time now, forget the outages, we've mentioned that again, but this comes at a time now where companies like Vodafone, and this is, this is, this is official from an independent report, Vodafone now matches Telstra in terms of offering consistent 4G coverage. Optus are also neck and neck when it comes to their advanced networks. So one thing Telstra cannot do is rest on their laurels. That same report, though, said that Telstra's 4G network was the fastest. So why don't they remind people of that? Why don't they remind people how fast and reliable their network is? Well, hopefully reliable their network is. Uh, I think that they need to win the customer's trust back. I think that's the real ad that customers want to see, that Telstra is not this company that's this light and fluffy tech company. They're a telco. They connect people. They want a network that's fast so people can withdraw money from their bank account. They can, they can do business. They can connect to send a text message. That's where they need to refocus. I just think, in in my opinion, I think Telstra have missed the mark with this campaign. I don't think it's the right direction for their rebranding, their ev- the evolution of Telstra's brand, as they've put it. Uh, I think that they really need to win the, the trust of their customers back to uh, go anywhere near this kind of campaign. I just don't think it's not, not specific enough for what they need to express to their customers. So, you know, they can give as many free data days as they want, but they really owe their customers a bit more than this this ad, which is pretty lightweight in my opinion. If you want to check it out, you can check out the ad as well as that blog. There's there's a link for you to do both of those things at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Now, don't we have you noticed how much importance that the, these days we place on our home 
networks. Our Wi-Fi networks are particularly important too because when you think about what we're doing with our networks nowadays, we, we, are, we are streaming content, we are playing online games, there are now a lot more devices on our network. Everyone's got a smartphone, a tablet, a laptop. It is really difficult for a network to, to keep up with all those connections and you really need the, the latest and greatest in Wi-Fi technology to be able to handle all those streams. Because you think about it, we're streaming now 4K movies. All our, our smart TVs, most of them are 4K. They're all smart. They've got wireless connectivity or wired connectivity. So we are doing things with these devices that we didn't do as recently as a year ago. And now throw in the fact that we've got subscription video on demand services like Netflix and, and Stan and Presto and all these other services. We're playing online games. That, that, that's increasing as well. We need a devices, routers, uh, and products to help us build a more robust, uh, a wider-ranging Wi-Fi network. Now, that's what Linksys has taken into consideration when it's released its new trio of products, and they include a new router, the EA9500, the, a new range extender, and a new USB adapter. Now, all of these new products have what they call MUMIMO, which is short for multiple user, multiple input, multiple output. These, this is the technology that enables multiple devices to stream content at the same time. At CES, I saw the EA9500 set up in Vegas in January. They had from this router, the EA9500, which is the first tri-band router that's capable of up to eight MIO streams. They had 20 4K streams coming from through one router to a television, to 20 different televisions, I should say. So that just proved that it does have the capacity to handle that type of load. Now, I don't think anyone in their home is going to be doing 20 streams of 4K at the same time, but it's good to know there's a device that can handle that. The, that, that, that router is the, it's a tri-band Wi-Fi router, the EA9500. It's worth $550. It's a, a big router. It's a beast. I've called it in my story there. It's tri-band, so one 2.4 gigahertz band, two 5, gigahertz, two 5 gigahertz bands, uh, MUMIMO, Eight external antennas, so it's got combined Wi-Fi speeds of up to 5.3 gigabits per second. So it's going to give you decent coverage in your home. There's also eight Ethernet ports on the back. So there's eight LAN, local area network ports, and there's one separate port for where you connect the your original internet connection in there. So this is a router only. It's not it's not a modem. So you need this connects to a modem. To uh, even if you've got a, a modem with a with a router in it already, you can use this in that setup as well. So you have uh, this other this other router in your system too. So that's a pretty high standard. I've listed all the specs at Tech Guide, which includes a 1.4 gigahertz dual core processor. Uh, it's also got room to room Wi-Fi with seamless roaming technology, and has the latest Wi-Fi standard, of course, which is 802.11ac Wave 2 802.11ac. So it's the very very latest. Its other product is a range extender. This is the first range extender that comes with MU MIMO built in. So if you are linking back to a Linksys router, it does uh, give you a seamless connection without you having to have another name, another network name uh, in, your, in your home. So it does keep the same SSID, but that's uh, the network name there. 
Uh, this and the, it also includes uh, an app that helps you. Uh, it's a spot finder app to give you uh, information on the optimal location to position that range extender. One mistake we all make is the fact that if if we say, for example, we don't have good coverage in our bedroom upstairs. Uh, the, the thinking is, well, the range extender has to go in the bedroom upstairs. That's not the case. The, the, the range extender has to go somewhere halfway between the router and the black spot. It's like an extension cord. It, it kind of extends the network into that area of your house, but it has to link back to that network to push it into those into those bla- those black spots in your home. So usually a spot about halfway between the router and the black spot is where you position the range extender. Finally, the last product in the trio is a USB adapter, which also has MU, MI, MO on board as well. So if you were on a, you're using a Windows computer or a laptop and it doesn't have 802.11ac built in, this can bring that to that standard. So you can not only enjoy the faster Wi-Fi speeds, but also enjoy multiple user, multiple input, multiple output technology as well to stream content to your device within your network. The range extender is $199.95. I mentioned the router is $550 and the USB adapter is only $59.95 as well. And if you want to check out all those products and see all the specs and some images there, you know where it is. I've listed it at techguide.com.au. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. Well, we have one more way of paying. Android Pay has finally launched in Australia, so that means we've got Apple Pay, we've got Samsung Pay, and now finally Android Pay. Now, Apple Pay uh, is already here with the American Express and ANZ are the two main financial bodies that offer Apple Pay. Also, with Samsung Pay, you've got American Express once again. But Android Pay has also been adopted by ANZ. It was released uh, like middle of last week. Uh, Android Pay, unlike Samsung Pay, I know it's easy to confuse these, but Samsung Pay obviously only works with Samsung devices. Android Pay works with most Android devices that are KitKat and above. So even a couple-year-old Android smartphone that has NFC on board, it's important to have near-field communication for that tap-and-go ability, they will also have the ability for you to use Android Pay. As long as you are with ANZ, Macquarie Bank, Bank of Melbourne, ING Direct, Sydney Credit Union, St George Bank, I'll put a full list of the banks there. Android Pay will work now with those institutions and a Visa card. Soon it will work with a MasterCard. So what you'll do is rather than carrying the plastic in your wallet, you will include it on your Android device within the Android Pay app and it will just work. And when it comes time to pay, what you can do is wake your, wake your device, so unlock it, 
and just simply place it near a contactless terminal as you would with your plastic credit card and you're done. A little notification pops up on the screen that you've paid for something with a certain credit card, allows you to choose which credit card and you're done. Now, in terms of security, it offers very high security because there are no credit card details shared with the retailer. So what happens is that it uses industry standard tokenization and it's easy for me to say. And what that does, it issues a unique number for each purchase. So your actual credit card details are not shared, not with the with the retailer. So it comes with this, this unique token number, uh, and that is the exchange with the retailer rather than your credit card details. So it is more secure. Android Pay, it is here to stay. Yes, that rhymes. I'm a poet. I didn't even know it. Android Pay joins Samsung Pay and Apple Pay. And if you are a member of any of those banks, if you're a customer of those banks, I know there's some customers who are waiting for Apple Pay. It's only with ANZ and with American Express so far. But Android Pay, if you're an Android user and your phone's less than a couple of years old and it has NFC on board, you can take advantage of it. If you want to check all those details out and see if your bank is one of those that allows you to do that, you can check all that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Tech Guide. Keeping you updated and educated. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Netgear, Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. And you can get the fastest speeds with the new Netgear X8. The Nighthawk X8 is the AC5300 smart Wi-Fi router. With speeds of up to 5.3 gigabits per second and tri-band Wi-Fi, you can deliver more Wi-Fi to more devices. The Netgear Nighthawk X8 has four external active antennas plus four internal antennas which amplify Wi-Fi range. Smart Connect intelligently selects the fastest Wi-Fi band for every device and with ReadyCloud USB access, you can secure personal access to USB storage and printers from anywhere. Nighthawk X8, it's the next wave in Wi-Fi. To learn more, head over to netgear.com.au. Tech guy. Now. A Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennick. First review for the show is a pair of earbuds. And these are no ordinary earbuds. These are the 360 digital lightning buds. Why are they lightning? I hear you ask. Well, they connect through the iPhone's lightning port. Now, I should uh, preface this by saying that for many months now, there, the rumours about the iPhone uh, 7 have been rampant. One of the biggest, most persistent rumours is the fact that the iPhone will probably not have a headphone jack. That 3.5mm port will not be, as far as we know, included with the new iPhone. So with this in mind... Any new pair of iPhones, if they're not Bluetooth, so you can still connect wirelessly, of course, to your iPhone. But if they, if it's not a wireless pair of headphones, the only way you can use a cable pair of earphones or headphones with the new iPhone, if in fact it doesn't have a headphone port, which is likely, is with a is by connecting through the Lightning port. Now the 360 Lightning buds, the digital Lightning buds, are one of a few devices already on the market that are anticipating this move. 
and we've reviewed them on Tech Guide. So they look like any, any other ordinary pair of earbuds. They have a flat, tangle-free cable. They've also got a, a, an inline controller, so you can not only control your music, control your volume, you can make and answer calls, you can even make uh, issue voice commands for Siri. Uh, they look like a normal pair of earphones, but at the end of the cable, you're not going to find a 3.5 millimeter headphone connection. You're going to find a lightning connection, which goes into the iPhone's lightning port. Now, one of the reasons we hear the fact that, that Apple may be ditching the headphone jack is because they want to make the next iPhone thinner. And if they get rid of a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack, that's a great place to start. The, 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 the lightning port is actually half the thickness of, of a traditional headphone jack. So that aside, the lightning connector goes into the lightning port and the headphones are connected. So there, there are actually a few advantages of this connection. One, one fact is that the lightning connector actually has a faster digital interface. So that in, improves fidelity and also creates zero noise transfer. So the straight right off the bat, you're going to get probably slightly better audio quality. And I did hear the difference. There is you get an improvement in clarity. I was listening to music I know very well, so I know every note of all these of all this music. And I did notice an improvement, which is pretty impressive. Not only because it's through the lightning jack, because these headphones only cost eighty nine ninety five. So that that's another big tick for them. Now, when you're listening to a normal headphone jack. What happens is that the headphone jack provides the digital to analog conversion and also amplifies the, the sound. Now, with a lightning connector, the, that, does, that does not give you DAC or the amplifier, so the headphone has to provide that. And in this case, the lightning plug has that digital converter and amplifier as well as the cable of the 360 earphones as well. So there's a direct digital processor on board that pumps up the sound. So that, that's another advantage is that you're going to get slightly better volume. I found the, the, the I didn't even have to turn it to full volume to really enjoy the sound, as, as I have found I have to do with other he earphones and headphones. You know, in terms of the music quality, the audio quality, bass, I, I was impressed. Mids were solid, uh, and, but a, an improvement in the clarity as well. And as I said, listening to songs I know very well. So uh, that, that was a, another big tick in my opinion. But there is a but here. There is a downside to using a lightning pair of headphones. And one, one most obvious one is the fact that you can only use them with an iPhone. Unlike any other pair of headphones that have this generic 3.5 mil jack that can go into any smartphone, tablet, or whatever you've got, the lightning buds will only work with an iPhone or an iPad that has that lightning port. So that's one disadvantage. The other disadvantage, and a lot of people will relate to this, you probably are listening on a device now on your commute or in the gym, listening through the headphone port. But what have you done? When you get low on charge, the good thing is if you still want to listen to your music, you can charge your phone. Now, because you are using the lightning port for your music, you can't charge your device. So you've either got to choose between listening to your music or charging the iPhone. You can't do both with the lightning buds. So that's another disadvantage. But in our opinion, none of these are deal breakers. The, the, the 360 digital lightning buds uh, presented excellent quality as well as excellent value. 
So if you want to read our complete review, you can check it out at techguide.com.au. Tech Guide. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finnick. Our next review is from a company, Natatmo, and their Natatmo Welcome, uh, which is a security camera with facial recognition. Now, you may recall a few weeks ago, we did review the Natatmo Weather Station. Same company, but this is a different device, of course. The the Natatmo Welcome Camera is a cylindrical-shaped device, very similar to the Weather Station construction and design. But the, this is yet another security camera, but with a big difference, and that difference being it has facial recognition. Now, very easy to set up, so it, it involves linking the device to your wireless network, and once it's on your network, you set all that up, and then you position it. Now, this needs to be connected to power permanently, so it's, uh, it's not a wireless device with a battery on board. It does need power. So once you position this, and the idea here is to position the camera in view of your front door. So when people come in, uh, the camera sees them and can identify them. And part of the setup is, of course, downloading the companion app, which, uh, which is also pretty handy. But another task is also naming the faces that it sees. Now, when we set it up, I made the mistake of setting it up with view, within view of the television. And every time a face appeared on the TV, it re- recorded an unknown face, unknown face. So be careful where you place this. Put it somewhere where people can see it and that it can see them. And you need, you need to be a bit patient because the first couple of days, it's going to think, it's going to, of course, say everyone is an unknown face. But what you can do is go in the app and then select those unknown faces and name them, identify them. So that it, it, there's one to say, oh, yeah, that's me, which is the, the main user of the app. Or you can then have other names of the people in your family. So then when it recognizes those people, you can get a notification to say, little Billy Smith is home. So if your child comes home from school, you might not be there. You might be upstairs. You might be in the backyard. You might be at work. You'll get a notification when they arrive. You'll also get a notification when an unknown face is seen. So, for example, they may bring a friend home and you can see uh, that, that person. You can go back and look at the video of them coming into your home and identify them as, as someone who may possibly come to your home again and so they won't be seen as an unknown face. Now, you think about the uses for this is the fact that all parents with their kids is an obvious one, but you think of also uh, people who want to keep an eye on maybe elderly parents or relatives. They want to see that they are moving around the home. They are coming in and out of their house. Uh, You can also log in and see a live view of whatever the camera happens to be seeing. So it does have that ability like a regular security camera as well. So... Once you get that established, once you get those faces into the app and identified, uh, it, it does. it is a handy way of keeping track of when people come through your front door. And, of course, the app allows you to, you know, you, you might have a teenager who doesn't want you to know when they're home or any, any kind of restriction or, or problem you may have there. You can, you can redo the settings so that there are less notifications of that particular person or however you want to set it up. So don't think that this is just going to hammer you with notifications and pester you. 
you can easily set that up in the settings. You can also have a function where when you leave your home and you know, obviously no one's there, you can set that up so it's on the highest level of security. So if anyone comes in your home, it will give you an alert quick smart. There was a case where an Atatmo welcome user logged into the camera. They, they were in a business meeting at work. An unknown face was spotted by the camera. That person has, has rung the police straight away and the police actually went to the home and caught that person who had turned out to be a burglar in their home. So it does have its security advantages knowing if there's an unknown face in your home. Just having motion detection can be too much because that could be someone in your house, in your house moving around and you're getting a notification and then wondering who it is uh, and, and having to log into an account, possibly even a, a cloud account where you've got to stream that from the cloud using a subscription model. With the, the Natatmo Welcome, there's a micro SD card on board, so all your video is stored locally. So you can view all your video without any subscription fees, without having to log into a cloud account. It's right there on your micro SD card. Now, it's a pretty sensitive little camera, this one. I do have a funny little photo on my review on Tech Guide of one of my Dalmatians was actually spotted as an unknown face. But I have since identified little Logan, that's the youngest of my two Dalmatians, in the app as well. So he won't come up as an unknown face because he sometimes comes in near my office and into my office, which is not far from the camera, and he does get picked up. But it just goes to show that the Natatmo security camera, the welcome, is is doing its job. It is recognizing people and faces. And the more faces you identify, like it might, it might you might be identified straight away, uh, but it might have a, there might be another angle of your face that it sees, and you can also confirm that as being you as well. So you do have several chances to identify yourself so that it refines and gets better at identifying you so you never come up as an unknown face. You'll come up as someone that it recognizes. The Natatmo Home, the Natatmo Welcome, I should say, uh, also can give you an alarm when it hears an alarm. So it'll listen out for security alarms, smoke alarms, sirens, and send you a notification as well as recording video as well. Because you can view live video, you can view any time a face is seen, you can view that particular video as well. So the Natatmo Welcome, priced at uh, $350, it is going to be available at Australian Geographic stores, in their physical stores, and also online. I've created a link to that as well, and you can read our complete review at techguide.com.au. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tech Guide now. A Tech Guide interview. Tech Guide. Our Tech Guide interview is with a very interesting gentleman by the name of Kevin Mitnick. Now, he's been named one of the world's most famous hackers he is coming to Australia in August to talk about, no no surprise there, cyber threats and security. Now, a bit of background about Kevin Mitnick, and he'll tell you this in the interview in a moment, but he used to be a what they call a black hat hacker, someone who breaks into systems. Uh, he claims in the interview that he didn't make any money doing that, but just did it out of curiosity, became so good that he turned into a white hat hacker who 
tests company systems, security systems uh, for any vulnerabilities. Kevin Mitnick will be back in Australia on August the 24th in Sydney, August the 26th in Melbourne for his Cyber Threats event. And you can have insights from the world's most famous hacker then. But if you want to hear what he had to say, here's what he had to tell Tech Guide earlier. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for joining me. Now, you're in Australia ahead of an event that you're going to host uh, in August. And you've been called the world's most famous hacker. Tell us a bit about your background. Well, back in the day, I was uh, fascinated with, uh, uh, if you'd believe it, magic as a young kid. And uh, I met a kid in high school who could work magic with the telephone. And he was involved in this hobby called phone freaking. He was able to show me all these cool magic tricks he could do with the phone system. It's kind of the same hobby that Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs had in the mid-1970s. Yeah. And I was always, I, I was a prankster. I loved uh, playing pranks on my friends. So I wanted, you know, to leverage the access I had to phone company systems to pull pranks. Like, for example, I would change the class of service of a friend's phone at home to a pay phone. So whenever, <laughs> whenever he or his parents started to make a call, it'd say, please deposit 25 cents. <laughs> and uh, and I, I used to do these crazy, like, uh, yeah, I was really involved in pranksterism. And as the phone company became more computerized, I wanted to gain more control of the phone company system. So that's where I got involved in, in computer hacking and penetrating systems and was really, really focused on the phone company, you know, back in the 1980s, 1990s. Okay. And I ended up, you know, getting myself in a bunch of hot water on a few occasions and, and reinvented myself, you know, you know, back 15 years ago as a security expert. So okay. basically I got to do the same thing today. I get to hack into systems, but I do it with authorization sure. and, uh, and we're able to find security holes. So, my clients could fix their uh, systems to okay. make sure that the next guy isn't going to break in. Right. So, so previously, were you? Was it safe to say you were a black hat hacker? So you were you were hacking, but now you're what they call a white hat hacker. Is that correct? Exactly. I mean, that's a good terminology. In other words, I, I was breaking the laws, accessing systems without authorization, mainly for the intellectual curiosity, the uh -huh. challenge, the seduction of adventure. Yep. I it wasn't. You know, I didn't attempt to, or did I make a dime? you know, any type of you know, monetary gain or nor did I try to destroy things. It was all about being able to bypass security systems. Yeah. And back in those days, you know, I couldn't even afford my own computer. You know, <laughs> uh, my parents couldn't afford one. I mean, a modem was a thousand dollars. You have a computer terminal was about 2000. Yeah. So it was just unaffordable. So what I used to use is, you know, systems at, you know, universities, and uh, as a kid, I always, again, used to like being the prankster and kind of the magician. And that's uh -huh. where it kind of drove me into this uh, sure. uh, hacking endeavor. Okay. So you're coming to Australia. You'll be in Sydney on August the 24th and in Melbourne on August the 26th. So basically, uh, just explain what you're going to be doing. So you're going to be demonstrating various, you're going to do a live hacking demonstration, I understand. You're going to also show some exposed vulnerabilities of certain organizations. So tell us about a little bit of that. What I do is I, in my keynote presentation, I demonstrate computer hacks. So I, I basically yeah. show how the bad guys work, not just talk about it and explain it. I actually demonstrate it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a technology magic show, if you will. And I show how the how hackers today use you know social engineering and web application exploitation uh -huh. to break into enterprises. And it's all in an effort to raise awareness 
to the people in the audience so they could better protect themselves. Sure. Social engineering. Can you explain what that means? Social engineering is using manipulation, deception, and influence to get a target to comply with the request. Uh Today, it's usually done through email because email is free. You could spoof email, in other words, forge email to make it look like it's coming from inside the company. Uh And... uh, and and when the target receives the email, it could be, you know, click on this link, put in your credentials, meaning right. username and password, uh, you know, open up this attachment because we're sending you a mutual non-disclosure agreement because I'm a new vendor, for example. And when the, the victim complies with that request, it looks it looks fair and reasonable. And in the course of ordinary business, they're exploited. And now the bad guy uh, mm-hmm. now has access to their entire system and now could use that system to access other assets within inside the company. Okay, so it, it is obviously from from a consumer point of view, we need to protect our online security. But from a corporate perspective, companies have got a lot to lose if they don't have proper security in place. Exactly, and that's where companies fall short. Is you know they think you know security is just mainly a technical problem, you know which it largely is. But then you have you know computers are used by people. So if the people could be tricked into doing things that they normally shouldn't do, then the hacker gains access to their systems and to their networks. So, so you and, think, you, uh, do you think that is, is, is it easier to trick the person than to crack someone's, someone's security the hard way? Or what, what are we, the hackers I understand? It's much easier to hack the human. Yeah. Hacking the human is much easier. Okay. But that's, you know, that's one of the main vectors, if you will, of compromise, but the other is finding security flaws in, you know, internet-facing web applications. Like, yes. for example, if you go to Westpac or ANZ or any of these banks, you're, you're accessing through your browser or web application, uh-huh. and hackers look for vulnerabilities in those applications to get control of the system. And I'd imagine being the whole, this whole area is something that obviously hackers are keeping up with the latest and greatest technology and methods so thereby the companies have to do the same thing don't they it's a real cat and mouse game isn't it yeah of course we have conferences i mean there's conferences like defcon and black hat in las vegas you know mm-hmm. at the end of july beginning of august and at one of them you have 15,000 people that are uh, from the hacker community show up and you never know if they're going to use you know, people that attend this conference, you don't know what their motivation is. Is it to help protect their clients or is it to actually use this methodology to steal or to cause damage? You don't know. Will there ever be a time, do you think, Kevin, where we're going to be safe? It's going to reach a point where there's no way they can crack this. Are we going to ever reach that level of of security? I don't think so. Maybe uh, we'll definitely be able to raise the bar and make it much harder like, you know, like, for example, how do you really know when a person is identifying themselves over a computer that they are who they say they are? Mm-hmm. So there's innovative companies that are now working on building better authentication to prove, you know, to kind of get a good uh, level of confidence that the person is who they claim to be. Can we get a turn to fingerprint technology or retina technology? Like what's an uncrackable level of security or is, is, there, or is there no such thing? There's none at this point in time uh, that I've actually tested myself. Imagine if you use a fingerprint, like let's walk through this, you use a fingerprint reader connected to your computer uh-huh. and it authenticates you to your bank that you're talking to online. What if that system was designed where the hacker can capture the, the transmission of the fingerprint uh, reader 
or through your computer to the bank, what happens if they could just replay that transmission, for uh, example, I and the bank doesn't have have safeguards in place to ensure that you know that a hacker can't do a replay attack? Wow. You know, so that might be a way to beat the system. Okay. You know, that's just one you know of many simple ways that you know that we would think of in trying to attack the uh, in trying to attack the fingerprint reader authentication. What about from a personal perspective? A lot of my listeners are just your average users, consumers, mums and dads, sons and daughters. Like, well, what what advice do you give these people uh, to with you know in terms of passwords and, and taking security seriously? Well, I, a few things. One is never, never just pick a password. You should use a password manager. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, free password managers like KeyPass, KeePass, uh, uh, Password Safe. There's hosted password managers that you have to pay for them. I believe called like LastPass. Yep. And these these password managers will generate random passwords for you to use at every site that you access uh-huh. because human beings cannot remember. Uh, passwords what they'll do is they'll always choose a predictable one or use the same one in more than one location for example and so that's one thing people could do to really raise the bar whenever you're using an open wireless network always use a vpn service yes vpn services you can find online they're about 60 dollars a year us and what that does is it creates an encrypted communication between your computer or your phone you know to the internet if you're using a trusted vpn provider Okay. If you're receiving email, you know, with attachments, I always use uh, or encourage people to use Google Quick View or Google Docs to open up Office Docs or PDF files. Because All if right. you're using the Google Cloud to do it, you, you can't be exploited. It's off your, uh, so it's, far, you, do it, you open it off your computer. So you open it in the cloud where your, your computer can't be affected. Is that right? Yeah, you're opening it in the, with the cloud. You're mm-hmm. not opening it with the software on your desktop, which sure. could be potentially outdated and might contain vulnerabilities. Okay. Right. The you know, the other thing is uh, using two-factor authentication. Mm-hmm. So uh, setting up a site that you're using to use two-factor authentication, where you where it texts you a code. So sure. in addition to your username and password, you have to have that secret code. So is it fair to say, like, oh, you hear obviously experts like yourself and and other people talking about the importance of security, and, and people think, well, it's probably never going to happen to me. But is it is it more a case of not? If but when it's going to happen, or is this is this is that how prevalent this problem is? Well, I mean, it really depends. It depends if you're a person that's targeted by a bad guy, or if you're just, you know, or or just the uh, target of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody targets you and they really want to have the uh, the skill set and the resources to do it, it's likely going to happen. Sure. Just one last question, Kevin. We recently had a federal election. I don't know whether you heard about that. It was a week and a half ago. Uh, it was a really close vote. We still vote with a pen and a paper and a pencil here in Australia, and it took yep. about eight days to decide the winner. Uh, we're talking about electronic voting, and some people are worried that if we do go down that path, uh, there's the chance that it could be uh, hacked as well. Is that a possibility? Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, I know of... Uh voting uh, systems that were tested in other countries were determined to contain security vulnerabilities that could have been exploited. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, the area of uh, moving to electronic voting, really uh, the government or whoever's in charge of the voting process really needs to make sure that they have the proper security controls around that system to make it uh, very difficult to manipulate the vote. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, Kevin. appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on your program. Keeping you updated and educated. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Finney. Tech Guide.
The Tech Guide podcast is proudly sponsored by Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. There are lots of valuable stuff stored on our computers. You think about it, family photos, videos, a lot of personal personal photos and videos, tax documents, work documents and other data. But what would you do if all of a sudden they were gone? If all of a sudden they were encrypted and impossible to access, that there is called ransomware. And that's a malware that locks you out of your own files, then demands you pay up or lose access to them forever. Unfortunately, ransomware is on the rise in Australia. In fact, Australia is now the most targeted country for ransomware attacks in the Southern Hemisphere. Norton Security Premium is a powerful internet security solution that can help keep you safe from ransomware by identifying and warning you against dodgy files before you click and backing up files from your PC to the cloud so you'll always have a copy if anything goes awry. To learn more about how to protect your online life, visit au.norton.com. Answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk this week, I had an interesting email from one of my readers who was asking about some televisions. He was in particular asking about a Samsung Series 9 uh, as compared to a Samsung Series 7. And he was wondering, look, what? what they're, they're both 4K. They both uh, have a lot of the features. Why the massive price difference? Now, this applies not only to the Samsung range of TVs, but a number of TVs that uh, have price differences depending on the different series and different models. Now, of the most obvious thing are the new bells and whistles, the added bells and whistles of a new TV. In, in Samsung's case, it's their new Quantum Dot technology. That, of course, is going to be on the Series 9s, the top-of-the-lines TVs, as are the larger size screens as well. You may find that the largest, the, the, the top series have TVs that are in the 70s and 80-inch range, whereas the, the previous, the, the, the lower series may top out at 55 or 60 inches. That's another way for the, these new, the new ranges of TVs to differentiate themselves. So, yeah, they're both 4K. They both look good. One will look slightly better than the other because it's got the brand new, very latest technology, whereas the other series, while it's still great, won't have that very latest tech, won't, to a trained eye, might not look as good uh, when when you're looking at your content. And that applies across the range. I think LG, their their top-of-the-line TVs have Dolby Vision. Their uh, other TVs may not have the, the lower range, won't have Dolby Vision. And... This this is this this goes across, like I said, all of those other other brands, and is another another reason why uh, customers should really look at what they need, the the how much money they want to spend on a TV. If they're looking to budget, if they're on a budget, they can't afford the top of the line TV. Then this is why these TVs are cheaper. Even though some of them, you may find a Series Nine TV, for example, and a Series Seven TV, to both be the same size, both have 4K. Both have the same number of HDMI ports and things like that, but there may be a $1,500 price difference. That's the reason, because of all that, that built-in technology is not there. And, and you'll find, too, when you're moving year to year, if you want to buy a TV from, say, a 2015 TV compared to a 2016 TV, that's the difference as well. The 2016, the latest TVs are going to have the very latest features and technology, and the, 20, the, the, the year before are going to be cheaper uh, because they're on the way out, 
the, the stores want to bring the new products in. So that is, as best as I can explain, the reason why there are such differences, price differences in the different ranges of TVs. And we've reviewed plenty of TVs uh, on our site, and you can check all of those out at techguide.com.au. And that is our show for this week. You can read about everything we've spoken about, of course, at techguide.com.au. Please get in touch with us, info at techguide.com.au. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Happy for you to tweet me. I'm at Stephen Fennick, and that's Stephen spelled with a PH. So hit me up on Twitter. I will promise I will reply. Special thanks, too, to our sponsors. A shout-out to Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs. And another shout-out for Norton, the company that can help keep you and your family safe online. Look after our sponsors there. Thanks for listening. It's been great having you with us once again. We look forward to you joining us again next week for Episode 209. But until then, stay safe and stay connected.